Hello and welcome to this week's Politically Speaking podcast. I'm your host, as always, Chris McDaniel, a political reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me today, a very frigid Jason Rosenbaum. And Joe Manis with the St. Louis Beacon. We're, we're snowed in in the St. Louis Public Radio winter storm weather bunker. Snowpocalypse so, now. Exactly. So this, uh, since we're snowed in, this will be a three-hour podcast. It's, it, it's going to be epic, epic, epic. Today's my birthday, too. So we Happy can... birthday, Joe. <laughs> Happy birthday. And this proves, it actually proves, I won't give my age, but this definitely proves that I'm more than twice the age of the two gentlemen here. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything. I think it's best to just <laughs> smile right. and keep on going. As I said, I, I, I don't lament it. I'm, I'm glad I'm still around. As we all are. As we all are. Well, let's get right down to the mayoral shenanigans, of which there have been plenty it's, in the past It's week. enough shenanigans to make Paul Lavota call shenanigans. <laughs> and only he knows what I'm talking about. And I have no idea whether he listens to this podcast. First, before we get into last night's festivities, let's first talk about the uh, more serious allegations and mudslinging in this campaign that was last week uh, President of the Board of Aldermen and mayoral challenger Lewis Reed held a press conference last Thursday, a few hours after our podcast last week, uh, where he handed out these two-inch thick packets, and he alleged that uh, Mayor Slay was uh, engaging in pay-for-play politics, essentially, um, getting money, campaign money, uh, in exchange for city contracts. And this was handed out at about three four, four o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, at four o'clock in the afternoon, about an hour before a lot of TV people had to go with this information. So they were extreme. Betsy Bruce was extremely surly. <laughs> Shout out she to was. Betsy. I think we were all surly that day. This makes me glad I'm not doing note by note coverage of the mayor's race. Sometimes we well, we all well. First, I think we should put this in a little bit of perspective. Sure. Um, and I'm not belittling the accusations. But the fact is that um, this has always been, as far as I can remember, and again, before you were alive, this was a big deal back in the early 80s, actually, when Vince Shamel was um, mayor. Uh, one of my colleagues, Rob Koenig, who is our Washington correspondent for the St. Louis Beacon, actually did a big series in the early 80s on um, all the uh, campaign donations that came from companies that were doing business while Vince Shamel was mayor. And Frankly, it probably makes sense. Uh, companies probably do give donations to the mayor or the county executive or whoever of the where their offices are. Uh, that said, what Reed was alleging that in some cases some of the contracts came in within uh, days. Uh, I'm sorry, with days of the don- donations or the day or the donations would follow within a couple days of the contracts. Now, what the mayor's office points out. That And again, this goes back decades to the city charter. The way it's set up in the city of St. Louis, and this goes back to the abuses back in the 30s and 40s, when they did the, the, the new charter in the 50s, um, there's a panel of experts. And the, who's on the panel varies depending on what the contract that they're looking at is about. But there's a panel of generally seven people. The mayor is not on it. Mm-hmm. Now, some of these are mayoral appointees, but... The fact is they're not necessarily going to know who's giving or who's not. And they look at all the bids for a particular contract, and then they make a recommendation. And um, 
Jeff Rainford, who's the mayor's chief of staff, emphasized that the mayor's not on the panel, and then oftentimes he doesn't even know until the name comes out and this isn't, who it is. And this isn't uh, the board of V&A. This is the board of public service. So, correct, correct. So it's not the board that uh, the mayor and uh, Lewis Reed serve on. Well, and see, it, it, it depends. The board of public service handles the professional contracts. Like if mm-hmm. you're hiring an architect, right. let's say, something like that. It goes to the board of public service, all the professional contracts. And again, this goes back to the charter. They split it up. If it's a, a jobs thing where let's say you're having a contract uh, for new roads or you're having, uh, uh, let's say, uh, money that's going to the Convention Visitors Commission, for example, that goes to the Board of Estimate and Apportionment, which is the mayor, the comptroller, and the head of the Board of Aldermen, which is Lewis Reed right now. And it has to be two of those three votes. Right. So you've got these checks in that you've got the ENA that handles some of the contracts. You've got the Board of Public Service who handles the other contracts. In some cases, they need Board of Aldermen approval, but generally it's those two boards. So Rainford was saying, look, it's impossible. Plus, the donations that were being cited were not large ones, and the mayor has raised uh, well over $3 million. Um, So it's not like this was a large chunk of his... Um, Can I just ask an yes. obvious question here? Lewis Reed has been Board of Aldermen president for what, four, five, six five years, years now? Why has he just brought it out two weeks before the election if this was such a problem? Why didn't he bring it to the public before then? Well, and that brings up a good point. Another thing that I asked him was because, well, frankly— a bunch of these donors had also Have given also, to Reed. Yeah, and he didn't deny that. <laughs> it just, again, I don't want to belittle the accusations right. either. And last week when we were talking about this stuff, I'm always I'm, – I'm not here to give judgment Correct. over whether these things are right or wrong. But it just seems like this is something that's coming out during an election season. And if this was such an egregious problem, why didn't – why didn't Reed bring it forward earlier? Well, he didn't, and 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 he acknowledged that many of these people had given to him, but they hadn't necessarily given to him for this election. Now he says there's no connection. Now one of the ones that was on there was uh, the Kwame Building Kwame, Group. Yeah, the Kwame Building Group, who also gave um, as recently as last year a thousand dollars to Reed. Also, yes. So the head of Kwame is um, is Thompson. What's right. his first name? Is it Tony Thompson? Yeah, Tony Thompson. Is that Betty Thompson's son? He's related. I'm yeah. not sure how. I, I may know. be Betty's. But, I'm anyway. not but sure. he but anyway. was he was very unhappy with yeah, the allegations. Cr- yeah. Chris and I both were interviewing him at the same time, and he was pretty ticked off because he said he'd given money to Reed before, and he goes, yeah. "He it, will not get one more dime." I, I have it right here in front of me. I hope Reed spends it wisely because he'll never get another dime. <laughs> he was he was very upset. But then then like because okay. he said there was no connection, so he yes. was mad that that. Reed was an, uh, alleging this, and plus Reed had the list of all these people, and and uh, Thompson was on it. But, but let's get to the forum last night. Oh, wasn't boy. that wasn't that amazing? Wasn't that a sensational uh, showcase of democracy it, in St. Louis? You know, they started it out by saying that we hope this will be very different from all the other forums, and it was. And you know what? They most definitely succeeded. It included Jeopardy. <laughs> it included a talent competition that featured Jimmy Matthews singing "Amazing Grace" and "This Little Light of Mine." <laughs> Michelle Whithouse hula hooped. Damon Jones tried to read a limerick off his phone but ran out of time. And uh, if you're listening at home, he's not 
He's not making a joke here. No, I'm serious. All of this happened. Yeah. <laughs> There's audio you, of it. You'd already left at the point of the, the limerick <laughs> reading and the hula hooping and the poetry reading and the author citing. Um, I, I, after I heard Jimmy Matthews sing this little light of mine, I thought that, you know— that was that was it. It was a, res- <laughs> but I gotta say, it was a respite from kind of the tempestuous back and forth between Reed and Slay. They talked mainly about sustainability issues, transportation, how to be more engaged with the public. So it was a little bit less fireworky than usual. Yes. But I think that just the um, quirkiness of the forum just became the main focus for a lot of people. I know the Post Dispatch. And I wrote very similar stories expressing – was that first. Well, (laughs) I don't know. It might have been by 10 minutes or so. But, I mean, we both kind of came to the same conclusion this forum was not like your company's forum. Sure. Well, and and, and there's this other issue I don't want to forget was the fight they had over the labor memo. Yes, I was out sick, so Joe was the only one here covering it. So what what happened there? Well, basically what happened was that the – and the mayor's office admits they may have had a little misstep here. Mm-hmm. What happened was, because of his fight that's been going on with the fire department over the pensions and benefits, uh, they were contending that the fire department's lawyer was telling new hires that uh, their benefits could never change, even through collective bargaining, which is not necessarily the case. I mean, collective bargaining, um, as a former union member myself, you know, they— Benefits can change with each contract, and then and then there's people who aren't in a union. Basically, you're you can be fired at will. I mean, most right. jobs it's that way. Well, so to deal with that, the mayor's office decided that the current language that new hires sign was a little too not clear enough. So they had lawyer draw up new language in January, and it's maybe a little too clear. Mm-hmm. And it just says, you know, that your benefits, your vacation, all this could change at any time. And it didn't really make it clear also that that if you're in a union, collective bargaining, uh, this would only be – this is only true in the context of the collective bargaining agreements. And most city workers are in one union or the other. So the bottom line is Reed brought this up over the weekend and alleged that the mayor was unilaterally getting rid of all workers' rights. So they had a news conference on Monday. But in the meantime, the mayor's office had met with a bunch of the top labor leaders who did call him over the weekend and said, what the heck is this? Right. And so uh, the mayor met with the labor leaders at 8 o'clock. Then uh, they met with some reporters, including myself, at 9 o'clock. And basically the labor leaders said that they were – this is Bob Soutier – and Jeff Abusi from the Building Trades, Bob Sutier's head of the St. Louis Labor Council, and they basically said, okay, we're satisfied, but we've told the mayor, you need to redo this language again. Right. So they're having the city councilor who drew up the language, uh, who's been taking some heat over it, but in fact, the mayor's office had seen this language several weeks before, so I'm not going to um, put that guy's name out. But the bottom line is he's agreed to talk to uh, labor lawyers in town Mm-hmm. kind of craft some better language. So it was 8 o'clock, the mayor meets the labor. 9 o'clock, the mayor's office meets with reporters saying this is all straightened out. 10 o'clock, Reed has this press conference outside City Hall because it was a holiday on Monday. <laughs> he couldn't have it inside. Huh. And so, uh, and then he had the, the Carpenters, which is one of the unions that is backing Firefighters Reed. is another one. Right, but the Carpenters uh, rep was 
particularly outspoken at the gathering. Right. So it was it, it it highlighted the union split. Yeah. In the mayor's race. Now most of the unions are with the mayor, but several of the unions including the carpenters who represent a number of the employees at city hall are with Reed. So yeah. that really highlighted some of that. So just wanted to get that in there. Well, let's talk a little bit about what took place over the weekend, though. Joe and Jason, you both went to Lincoln Days. Yes, we did. It was with, it was with, amazing. With the, the state Bobby GOP Jindal. gathering. Yes, it's, it's the biggest one in the state, and it flows between Springfield, Kansas City, and it, St. Louis. And I and I know that I just said it was amazing, and that came off as sarcasm. It actually is a lot of fun <laughs> for reporters to go there because it gives an opportunity for for people like us to kind of talk informally with a lot of. Republican officials, Democrat days in Hannibal kind of gives that same opportunity to, to for the Democratic side. And I went on Friday. I saw John Barrasso speak. Yeah, from Wyoming. He's who's 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 an up and comer. Yeah, but I, honestly, I think the main news from that was uh, Tom Schweik's speech, where he gave what I like to call real a real keeping speech. I think that's slang. Now this on, is the current state auditor. Yeah, I think that's a that's a slang that people use in order. As, as some as somebody basically talking very frankly to people, some real talk, real talk, <laughs> yeah. And uh, he basically said that the Republicans just made some pretty sizable mistakes over the last election cycle. They ran candidates statewide that maybe were misplaced. They've been, uh, you know, ignoring the grassroots of the party. There's been factionalism between right. so-called conservatives and so-called moderates, and. And I rhinos, rhinos, and Tea only. Party crazies. <laughs> Those are words that should be stricken from the lexicon. And you know, Tom Schweik is running for re-election in 2014. He's right. that race is the only statewide race, unless you know somebody. So, yeah, unless something 2014 happened. is going to be an aberration. In fact, there's yeah. and, and that there's not a Senate race. There's nothing else statewide. I, I believe it might be the first time that's happened since 1994. Four, yeah. I don't know if there was a Senate race in 1990. There probably was, now that I think about it. It was probably Kip Bond ran for re-election that year. No, no, no. Kip Bond was 92. 92. My years are all are, are all flustered today. Um, but my point being, you know, I don't know how well that went over to people. I think that was something that pretty much everybody was thinking. But I don't know. That's not the type of tough talk you usually hear at a lot of these Lincoln days. It's usually more of kind of a rally the troops type of feeling. And um, But, I, I mean, a lot of what he said, I mean, you can kind of look at the results and you can probably come to the con- similar conclusions, I would guess. But that was night one and beyond those speeches and just talking with a bunch of folks. And, you know, I think I had a brownie from Ann Wagner's suite. Um <laughs> That was that was pretty much it for my part. But Joe was kind of there for the the, the other part of it. So. Yes. Oh, also, correction. You're right. 1990 was the last time there was mm. just a state yes. about. Okay, I'm always you're, right. Indicated. And I'll explain later about why, but but not on the air. <laughs> but I was figuring this out. But yeah, on Saturday, um, everybody was there, and a couple news was developing. Former House Speaker Catherine Henway, who was a former U.S. Attorney from this side of the state. And now is a lawyer, a partner in John Ashcroft's law firm. Uh, spoke at the luncheon, and I talked to her afterwards, and she admitted for the record that she will likely run for either governor or attorney general in 2016. 
She has, and she hasn't run for office since 2004. Correct. She had run for um, Secretary of State but lost narrowly to Robin Carnahan. Now, this was the race where Robin Carnahan um, ran this very infamous ad that got the mayor upset. Uh, I mean, uh, Slay was— uh, It was be, about because, the baseball stadium. Yeah, yeah because it was blasting uh, Hannaway for support for Ballpark Village. And <laughs> Which is now just being built, by the way. Yeah. Round was broken recently. Yeah, so that was kind of interesting. But yeah, Hannaway gave a actually a rather speech that kind of alluded to some of the themes that Bobby Jindal brought up at the end uh, of the day, coincidentally, because her message was that uh, Republicans need to not m- move on their principles so much, but they need to improve their tactics. Uh, she said, you know, they're not up to speed on a lot of the modern stuff. As far as you know, using social media to their benefit, yeah. And but she also said this was interesting. She was saying that the threat to liberty is not just from government overreach, but corporate overreach. Hmm. Hmm. That got a lot of stir because that's unusual where you get a um, yeah. Republican, Republican saying, saying that. that. So well, well let, yeah. Let me ask you a, a right. quick question. I mean, I can't think of another precedent where somebody ran for office in two thousand like. It, 2004, didn't run for anything for 12 years and then ran for governor or attorney general. I know she was considered a top-tier candidate for attorney general in 2008, and she decided not to run. But do you think being away that long is a good thing because she hasn't really done anything recently that they can use? Or do you think it's going to be a hindrance if she wants to run for statewide, something like that? I'm not sure if it's a help or a hindrance. And one of the reasons why, because I think that often in Missouri— State House speakers in particular have this, uh, I'll say this right right now, they have this faulty notion that most people know who they are. They don't. <laughs> yes. So the fact that she was a State House speaker, frankly, in the early 2000s, while all the activists know that, and mm. she has a lot of respect within the Republican establishment because Hannaway actually was one of the major drivers of getting um, she, I, Republican I, I, control of no, the No, I would argue she's probably more well-known as the U.S. attorney. For, I mean, that's, on this a much, side of the state. that's a much more high-profile job than Speaker of the House in many respects. On this side of the state, but not on the other side of the state. But anyways, I didn't mean to get off on a tangent, but continue. But but my point being that um, that she's probably better known within the ranks for her work while she was a state rep, uh, traveling the state in 2001 and 2002, recruiting candidates and lining things up for the Republicans to take control of the House. She's considered one of the key reasons right. why they had such a big sweep in the 2002 statewide elections. Okay, fast forward. So she loses two years later for Secretary of State. She took some time off uh, for family reasons. She has two younger kids, and she wanted to spend some more time with them. Plus, I think she wanted to uh, reassess things. And then she ended up being U.S. Attorney for four years um, under Bush. So she has credentials. But my point being that I'm not sure that it's going to matter that much because I think sometimes officials in Jeff City think they're better known than there are. And it just reminds me of all these speakers like Steve Gaw in 2000, who was House Speaker running for Secretary in of State. In 2008. Didn't help him. <laughs> yep, 2008. Yeah, Jim Crider couldn't win a Senate seat. Rod Jetton was 
a possible statewide candidate, but decided not to. Ron Richard won, but he aimed very low in a sense for a Republican okay. state senate. Not in, very low, but a, a, a winnable in his prospect. In Southwest Missouri, and, yes. But I, and I've said on this show, I think Steve Tilley would have probably won that lieutenant governor's race if he would have stayed in, but yes. he decided not to. So we'll never know what happened with him. Um, and what happens with Tim Jones, as I think we said on a previous podcast, well, be, kind of remains to be because seen, Because Tim, Tim Jones has made clear, I interviewed him a couple months ago, I think he's made it no secret to anybody else, right. that he's looking at running for something in 2016. So, so yeah. I, But I'm just saying that, that, that I'm not sure it will help or hurt uh, Hannaway. That's the bottom line. And then, of course, we heard Jindal in the evening, and his thing, which was funny, which the the guy who said, let's quit being the stupid party a few weeks ago, this time he was like, you know, the Republicans are focusing too much on the budget in Washington, too much on the deficit. And he said that while it matters, he said we need to be talking about other stuff because we've become, we're becoming known as the party of austerity. And he said he just does not think that that's a winnable theme. And he said we need to be known as the party of growth, the party of economic growth. So his point is that, look, we can we can be for all these things. But he said we need to be talking about other things. And mm-hmm. that kind of had people sitting there, you know, because they weren't used to that. Joe, you also mentioned at Speaker Jones was talking about Medicaid at Lincoln Blasting Days. Blasting him. Yes. Very much so, saying that Nixon had kept it a secret, that he was for Medicaid expansion until after the election, mm-hmm. and uh, saying that the 24,000 jobs that are estimated would, would be created the first year are not the kind of jobs that Missouri needs. Um he was very critical. I mean, it was some of the harshest language that I've heard Jones say in public on the topic. He referred to the three to 400,000 Missourians that would be added to the rolls as, quote, able-bodied Missourians, the but, Im- implication yeah. being that they should yeah. be getting and, insurance And before we get way. into what Nixon said, how many times did we ask Nixon before the election what his thoughts on Medicaid were? Oh, countless. Did yeah. he ever give a sense of where he was on that issue until after he won? Well, in fairness, a few months, I think it was last spring or summer, he did say he was against the mandate. But he, I'm talking about Medicaid expansion because we, no, I remember. Never said. No. Never said. I, I, I mean, I'm just going to put that out there, but continue. Yeah. That's right. But let's contrast what Speaker Jones was saying with what Nixon's message was yesterday where Joe and I were in St. Charles, which is noteworthy because it's conservative Stronghold. Correct. correct. You, you want to talk about that a little bit, Chris? Sure. Well, Nixon was there uh, on his Medicaid tour, which he's been going around to correct. many different places talking about why this needs to happen. Um, he's he's continued this tour despite the top Republican budget writer last week leaving this Medicaid money out of the budget. As I mean, expected. Yes, as expected. But what has happened between last weekend and Wednesday the governor and Tim Jones has had a private meeting. The right. governor also has had some private meetings with other legislators. And t- depending on who you talk to, a couple of the business people who I talked to there at the St. Charles event afterwards s- who have been in uh, Jefferson City in last week or so, they claim that they're seeing a little bit of movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it's that whereas before they were getting absolutely not, now they're getting, well, we'll look at the bill. And just that little yeah. bit. 
And and I'm I'm reading the quote from Joe's piece here. This is Nixon speaking. Speaker Jones has appointed a committee to look at this, this being Medicaid. They're doing solid work. I think Speaker Jones continues to look at these issues. I think he also is seeing the economic impact of moving forward. Yeah, the governor was very careful not to reply back to Speaker Jones' text. In fact, he's got yes. that great little quote there. Uh, and after Joe, you know, prompted him saying, you know, what about this fiery rhetoric that Jones was using? And Nixon responded, if I just worked with politicians based on what they said at their political rallies and pounded on the table, I wouldn't get anything done in this job. And when I heard Joe say that, I was like, you know what? That probably is a good mindset to take for the governor because there's a lot of a lot of stuff that goes along. Well, one of one of his talking points for this was that this isn't just something that Democratic governors are going for. Right. Solidly conservative governors have done this. Arizona Governor Jan Brewer and then yesterday yes. Florida Florida Governor Rick Scott, Rick Scott um, yes. switched on it and and now they it, will be... Wasn't there like different details like they got yes. a waiver to make it into a private managed care plan? Yes. Okay. I don't know the complete intricacies Neither of do that. I. But, but that may be something, frankly, because Republicans in Jeff City, some of them are working on crafting an alternative bill. I just wonder, after Scott came out and endorsed it and he's right. gotten this waiver, I was wondering how many Republicans in Jeff City are looking at the fine print of the Florida waiver to see mm-hmm. if they can kind of get something, craft yeah. something similar. You know, it it is interesting that about Nixon's comments about the House coming along, but I've always contended what the House does is not crucial. Well, it's what the Senate does. Yeah, but the House, though, is crucial on the budget because if it's not in there. It's crucial yeah. on the budget, but the Senate, if there's this this band of people who are opposed to this no matter right. what, it doesn't matter what the House does. Well, and that's true. It's that's kind true. of like with right to work or paycheck protection. They could pass it through the House till the sun doesn't shine anymore. But if it gets filibustered, you know, they're either going to have to use a PQ to get past that or – they're just going to have to wear them down. I know that, you know, I may be I, – I, I don't want to overstate the power of a filibuster because it is possible that filibusters just peter out after a while. But I, I just am I just am thinking there are going to still be people in the Senate that are going to be opposed to us no matter what. Well, and it depends on whether or not they use the previous question. I you don't know, think they'd use the previous question against Republicans. They didn't do that in 2007 or good 2006. Point. Good point because, yeah. I mean, in the state – Senate, they have the PQ, and they have it in the in the House too. Unlike in Congress, where yeah, they right. dropped it because of Aaron Burr. So, <laughs> I mean, I I will be interesting to see what happens with the House because I mean that would be a very big change to what Tim Jones has said. But I mean, the key is still the Senate. I mean, that's what's going to happen. And although there are people yeah, but, who and, are well, who are, you had this piece with Dempsey just a few days ago. Yeah. And so, I mean, was there any light in what no, Dempsey said? No. He said it's going to be very difficult to pass through the Senate. And I I I I've asked him about this several times. He's basically told me the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I I don't mean to be too hung up on legislative practicality or minutia, but it does mm-hmm. matter in these instances. Yes, absolutely. Just like when we talk about union stuff or anything that's controversial on the Democratic side. I mean, if you get enough people to talk forever on a bill, it's a very powerful weapon against getting it passed. It doesn't mean it'll never pass. It just means that it's a very 
steep obstacle to go over. Now, so speaking I'm just of saying that. legislative impracticalities, let's talk very briefly on this bill that has made national news uh, slightly. Yes, it's it's legislation to criminalize legislators who offer legislation. <laughs> that is actually, that would restrict uh, guns. the Second Amendment. John Wright, and this was Mike Lira. Of, of St. Louis County, who represents Fuddruckers in Sunset Hills, <laughs> which I frequent once every two weeks. <laughs> Uh, so, I just wanted to note that. So w- when did this conflict of interest? This is not a conflict. I just <laughs> <laughs> so this sort of blew up on Twitter. I think Monday evening or something like that. Yeah, and, uh, and then he put out a statement saying this bill was a statement. He's not yeah, actually. I, mean to I filed HB six three three as a matter of principle and as a statement in defense of the Second Amendment rights of all Missourians. I mean, yeah, I have no illusions about the bill making it through the legislative process, but I want it to be clear that the Missouri House. House will stand in defense of the people's constitutional right to keep and bear arms. I put in a call to his office asking to talk to him, and all I got was the statement. So yeah. I cannot read his mind. <laughs> but I really believe he put that out to get a rise out of gun control proponents. And he completely succeeded in that. Yes, yeah, Stacey Newman was going crazy. Because people were taking this literally without seeing what it was, most likely. And I'm saying most likely because maybe it was serious. I don't know. Haven't talked to him. But it was basically just... A poke in the eye of the opposition. But you saw national publications saying, we can't do this. This is unconstitutional. This is free speech. This is. I think they should have reacted like that because on its face, it's kind of a ridiculous idea. But I think it was meant to just rile people up and. Marshall Griffin uh, from St. Louis Public Radio did get to talk to him, and one of his quotes here in front of me is, I just felt it was time to give a little pushback and make a statement that we're not going to take it anymore. So a little trolling, if you will. and actually it succeeded. (laughs) In in fact, it is the exact definition of trolling. (laughs) Trolling, if you look on the definition, if you look on the internet, it is is an internet thing Mm -hmm. where somebody intentionally tries to rile somebody up by putting someone forward and... Look at what happened, um, and then this. It's it, and and that's that's I that's all I wanted to say on on trolling and that well, aspect. There, However, there's a little there's bit been of a other. New one. Yeah, there's been a new one today. Well, Representative Eric Burleson yeah. had a YouTube video in which he took the uh, assault weapons ban legislation to. A they gun have range. been really aggressively pushing back against a bill that had no chance of getting passed. Right. So on that front, it does see that does seem like a little. He he takes it to um a, you know a shooting firing range holes and then... in a bill is, is 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 definitely a loud statement against it. But now we have Jeff Rorder of Jefferson County putting forth a a bill that would criminalize offering legislation that curbs union rights. And I saw on Twitter that Ryan Sylvie and Jolie Justice are basically just saying. They're making jokes about They're it. They're making yeah. jokes about this Which whole mini boom and how it's becoming kind of tired at this point. Yeah. And I don't know. Well, see, because the weather did curtail something in Jeff City this week because the legislature, especially the Senate, appeared poised to at least start debating some of the uh, legislation that was going to uh, restrict union rights and the uh, snow. Yes. Or the fear of snow. They're not in session right now. Yeah, no. they got him to. Shut everything down, and that's delayed till next week. Well, we should probably shut everything down here too. We've been going on for about thirty minutes, but are, there we, just, are we over thirty minutes now? Uh, we, I think we broke the thirty-minute mark. But <laughs> oh, Jesus! It's only hey, two and a half the, more hours to go, the and then. Uh, well, everybody listening out there, stay safe. Don't drive. We're reporters, so we're dumb. 
and we'll be driving, so you don't have to. <laughs> uh, you can follow us on Twitter at, at @csmcdaniel, or you can follow me on Twitter at, at @csmcdaniel. I don't, <laughs> I don't have everyone's Twitter, but you can follow Jason, J Rosenbaum, and Joe at J Mannies, M A N N I E S. My stories are at stlpublicradio.org, and Joe and Jason are both at stlbeacon.org. Uh, we'll be back next week. Hopefully, the snow will have thawed. Until then, so long. So long. So long.